Bukayo Saka and Martin Odegaard have been nominated for the Ballon d'Or, but how much are that pair worth in today's market? We'll bring you the latest on Nicolas Pepe, Jorginho, and are Arsenal about to lose a promising young player? All of that, plus your questions answered in this edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another episode of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football family. Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well on this Thursday evening. Coming to you today a little bit later than normal. Had a crazy manic day at work. I've been all over the place today. I got home about an hour ago, was ready to do the pod then. And then I thought, no, do you know what? I just need a bit of downtime. I just need a bit of time to switch off from the phone, from social media, from the laptop, all the rest of it, have my dinner nice and peacefully, and then I'll jump on the podcast. I do a much better job of it when I'm relaxed. So here I am at 7pm live on a Thursday night. As I say, it's not a normal time, uh, so I appreciate that it might have caught some of you off guard. Thank you to those of you that are with us in the live chat, to those of you that will be watching this back later. And of course, to those who will be listening on the audio platforms as well. We've got uh, a fair bit to get into today. As I said on yesterday's episode, it is the international break. It is a little bit slow in terms of things to talk about. There isn't a game coming up this weekend. Normally, Thursday night is when we like to, in an ideal world, do our preview show. Uh, We're not going to be able to do that today because there's no game to preview. Although the mighty Greece are taking on the Netherlands tonight. That's an interesting game coming up a little bit later on. Uh, keep your eyes peeled for the score. Gus Poyets, Greece, uh, are taking on the Netherlands this evening. I think France are playing the Republic of Ireland as well, which could be uh, an interesting game. Um, we're going to talk Saka. We're going to talk Odegaard after the news came out last night that both of those players have been nominated for the Ballon d'Or, which is amazing news for the pair of them. We're also going to try and figure out how much in today's market, those two individuals would be worth. We're going to bring you the latest on Nicolas Pepe, who is still, at the time of recording, hoping to secure a transfer away from Arsenal uh, before the Turkish transfer window closes. Uh, we'll also bring you uh, some more reports with regards to Jorginho, who's been linked with a move away from Arsenal, but as we understand, it is staying put for now. But there is a club on the continent that are eyeing up Jorginho for a January move. We'll also talk about a promising young footballer Arsenal could be set to lose uh, very, very soon as well. So we've got lots and lots to get into. Let me say a few hellos to those of you joining us in the live chat. Uh, we've got Mohammed who says, uh, hi, Harry, all the best, mate. Uh, I noticed that I write comments for you in every show, but you don't seem to always see them because there's a lot. All the best, my friend, Mohammed. Yeah, apologies. Sometimes when I'm trying to keep the podcast flowing, so I'm not stopping too much. It does have a flow for those people that are either watching it back and aren't participants in the live chat or those that are listening to it on the go whilst doing something else. It's difficult for me to keep my eyes on the chat through every single minute. So I do miss stuff and stuff does go uh, under the radar. So I apologize. Uh, Terrell Thomas says Saka's worth 220 million and Martin Odegaard is worth 170 million. But guess what? They are not for sale. Um, Mick Darcy can't believe that the two have been nominated. We'll get onto that in a bit. Uh, big hello to Creambone, who joins us as well. He says, evening, my good sir and fellow Gooners. We've got Wesbird in the chat. Haris is with us as well uh, from Cyprus. Um, 
Oh, well, I thought he was in Cyprus. He's in Kent. Um, he says, just had a mini barbecue at the beach, waiting for the latest news with the family in Kent. There you go. Um, nice one, man. Enjoy. Galiorix, uh, as they say. Enjoy your food. Um, what else have we got? Uh, Money Ain't says, hello to everyone and good afternoon. I'm watching this at work. I have to say, I consume most of the content that I watch or listen to at work as well. <laughs> um, Joey Leo is also watching us from work. He says, glad to be able to catch another live one while at work. Harry, keep it up. You're about to be so busy. Um, Creambone is driving back from Bristol. He says, so make it a banger of a show, Harry. No pressure. I'll try. Uh, Zeno says, I've got Greece to get a draw tonight. That'd be a good result, wouldn't it? Uh, AJ Envoy says, I'm going to take questions later on, but I'll answer this one straight away. Who do you personally think will win the Ballon d'Or? I don't think anybody else has a look in. I think it's literally Lionel Messi's um, because, of course, he won the World Cup, which was the crowning glory, the crowning moment for arguably football's best ever player. So I think um, it's going to be uh, Lionel Messi who is awarded the prize. Not for the first time, I might add. Uh, big hello to Evan as well, who joins us. Mark is in the chat too. Uh, lots of you in the chat box, which is always great to see. Right, uh, let's get into it then. Let's talk uh, Martin Odegaard and Bukayo Saka's nominations for the big one, the Ballon d'Or. So, two Arsenal players, of course, nominated for the Ballon d'Or. That's two players from the men's side. Uh, Katie McCabe and Amanda Illestet have been nominated as well from the women's side. So, congratulations uh, to them. Um, just great to see Arsenal being represented uh, right across the board in this. Was I surprised to hear that Bukayo Saka and Martin Odegaard had been nominated? Maybe a little bit. Not because I don't think that they deserve it. When I think about how both of them performed last season um, and continue to perform, you know, and, and you think about the role that they're going to play for Arsenal in this campaign that has obviously just begun, you can understand why they're on the shortlist. I think when I looked through that list, there were a few players on there that I was a little bit unsure about with regards to how much they deserve, I guess, to be on that list and I'll, I'll just bring it up for a second uh, because if I bring it up then it will refresh my memory and I can highlight the ones uh, that I don't think should have been on there hold on Ballon d'Or uh, nominees let's just have a quick search for this I should have done this before shouldn't I um, ever the professional me hold on here we go right so um, when you're talking about the men's there's a few names in there that don't really in my opinion, deserve to have made the cut. Let me just bring this up on my screen and those of you uh, that are watching will be able to see this as well. So here we go. So on the men's list, right, you've got Julian Alvarez, fine, World Cup winner, scored some important goals. Nicolo Barella, um, I had a debate with someone about this today. I think he absolutely deserves to be there because, of course, uh, Nicolo Barella took or was a big part of that interside that went to the Champions League final. Jude Bellingham, outstanding. Karen Benzema, Outstanding prior to his move, obviously, uh, to Saudi Arabia. Yassin Bounou, uh, the goalkeeper. I don't think he should be in there, but I can understand why he was. Remember with the Ballon d'Or, it's always very heavily weighted towards performances at World Cups. And obviously, Morocco had a really good World Cup. Kevin De Bruyne goes without saying he should be there. Ruben Diaz too. Antoine Griezmann had a good World Cup. Ilkay Gundogan, excellent with Manchester City. Here's one I take a bit of an issue with. Josko Gvardiol. Good player, great player, 
Um, if Pep Guardiola sanctions a, a move for you that costs the football club as much as Manchester City paid for Josco Guardiola, then you know the guy's a talent. But has he done enough historically to be in this list? I don't think he has. I don't think Randall Colomuani necessarily should be on this list. Valetskalia, yes. Haaland, yes. Kane, yes. Lewandowski, yes. Emi Martinez, again, it's about the World Cup. Lautaro Martinez, Champions League in the World Cup. Mbappe, obviously. Messi, obviously. Kim Min Jai had a really great season with Napoli. I can understand why he's on there. Luka Modric, Jamal Musiala. Uh, continuing to make his way at Bayern and doing very, very well for a player of his age. Odegaard on there. On Nana, again, it's based on the Champions League. Osimen, wonderful season for Napoli last time out. Bukayo Saka, Mohamed Salah, Bernardo Silva and Vinicius Junior make up the rest of the shortlist. There were a few names that I mentioned there that I don't necessarily think should be there. And actually, when I look at this list, then I'm 100% that Saka and Odegaard deserve to be among this crop of players. But, you know, we haven't had a player that has been regarded as one of the very, very best in the world since what? Since Thierry Henry? Since, no, no, that's that's not true. Robin Van Persie, um, Cesc Fabregas, you know, you can go on and you can add players like Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang into the mix. Maybe one of the best forwards at a point in his Arsenal career, but certainly I don't think was one of the best in the world. I don't even know if he ever got nominated for a Ballon d'Or. He might have done, but the point I'm trying to make is that it feels like when you've got a couple of players in there that you're on the right track, you're on the right trajectory. And when you consider that we're talking about a 22-year-old and a 24-year-old here, it's even more impressive. The other thing is that they're just such good lads as well. And I know that that doesn't count for a lot. Uh, in elite level sport all of the time. I know uh, a lot of the time, you know, you you discount what somebody's like as a person, but these two are not just great footballers. They are fantastic ambassadors for Arsenal Football Club, and I'm so proud that they represent us. But Kai Osaka is as down to earth as they come. I don't even think deep down he knows what a great footballer he is. I don't think he understands the full extent of his talent. That really comes across when he speaks, the fact that he's humble. He's clearly got wonderful, wonderful people around him, which can make a big difference uh, when it comes to big career decisions. We've seen so many players have wrong people around them and go the wrong way. And if you think about Bukayo Saka's story, right, we're talking about somebody who broke through into the Arsenal squad, started playing as a left back, a bit of, you know, left wing back. There was a time where people were talking about him as a number 10 and eventually he found his way to the right wing, which is obviously his best position and a position from which he's been devastating for Arsenal for a good period of time now and will continue to be moving forward. I always remember at the time when Bukayo Saka broke through and really started to make waves and, and started to become a hot topic. I always remember making a, a really strong comparison between him and Ainsley Maitland-Niles. It was around the time we were all having the debate around what do we do with Maitland-Niles? Do we keep him? Do we let him go? Is he right to be annoyed at the fact that he's playing at fullback when actually he wants to be a centre midfielder? And I always used to say to people, uh, friends, colleagues, you know, family, and I, I'm pretty sure I used to say it on the podcast as well. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong. But I always used to say, look how Bukayo Saka got given opportunities, albeit not in his preferred position, didn't moan, 
didn't whinge about it, didn't complain about it, didn't tell himself, I can't do this because I'm being played out of position. Instead, he took it on. He did his very, very best. He took the experience on, learned from it. And when he was ready to move into his preferred position, when he was ready to be put into a permanent position, if you like, he's got all the experience under his belt. He's got the know-how. He's been there, done it. The occasions don't phase him because it's not a young lad walking out into a, a vociferous atmosphere being expected to deliver straight away. He's not a rabbit in the headlights. He is somebody who was very calm, very collected, very humble, very down to earth. And I honestly believe that had Ainsley Maitland-Niles, I know this is not a podcast about Ainsley Maitland-Niles, but had he kind of shut up and got on with it and just focused on the fact that he was getting that experience and he was getting those minutes and trying to take the positives from it rather than always being sort of up in arms about his position, then he could have, I'm not saying he's as talented as Bakayo Saka, but he certainly could have made more of his career than he has to date. Bakayo Saka is a great example of A, an academy product, but B, a young man in 2023 with the right attitude. And there are a lot of people out there of a, a certain age. I'm not trying to sound ageist, but I see it. I've got friends, I've got family who are younger than me, who you know, have brothers and sisters, and I see it. And it's like people are, or a lot of people these days, it's like they're allergic to hard work. It's like they don't want to do it. They want everything to come easy. But Kyo Saka is the opposite of that. And when you think about his story and the fact that, you know, he, he went on to have such a good season last season, 15 goals, I think, um, in all competitions, which was really, really good um, coming from that right-hand side. I think it's the same as what Odegaard got. It's the same as what Martinelli got in terms of total return. You know, this is a guy who's, gone up so many levels in such a short period of time and he is an excellent poster boy for Arsenal Football Club why because he is what every young player that comes in at Hale End can aspire to be you know he it, it, this is not one of those oh well it, you know if you're in the academy at Arsenal it doesn't really mean anything because you, you might not make it all the way anyway but Kyle Saka represents that dream and he represents that pathway that Arsenal hope to offer to their young players. And it is so brilliant um, to see that. He got 14 goals in the Premier League and one in the Europa. So yeah, 15 in all competitions last season. So yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely buzzing for Bukayo Saka. His story is a brilliant one and, uh, and long may it continue and long may he lead Arsenal to uh, many glories going forward. Martin Odegaard's story is equally fascinating as well, but in a different way. And, and that's why I love talking about this guy as well. 24 years old, a little bit older, of course, uh, than Bukayo Saka. And he's been on a very, very different pathway, Martin Odegaard. You know, he, he was playing in Norwegian football, uh, got spotted at a very, very young age. We know that he came to Arsenal and spoke with uh, Arsene Wenger and was shown around the training ground. He's spoken since about the dinner that he went for with Arsene Wenger and his father and all the rest of it. And picked up by Real Madrid. And at that point, expectation is sky high. Real Madrid do not go and sign 15, 16-year-olds from Scandinavia unless they really do think that they're the real deal. So they pluck him out of there. They take him over to Spain. And very quickly, I think it becomes apparent that Martin Odegaard is not quite ready to feature for uh, Los Blancos, you know, the one of the, if not the biggest club side in world football. That His pathway is a little bit blocked. And so they decide to send him out on loan. Now, Martin Odegaard, 
I think is someone that has really, really benefited from finally finding a home. But don't disregard how important those loan spells would have been in his development. I think when you're a player that constantly goes out on loan, you can feel a little bit lonely. You can feel a little bit unwanted. He went off to Heerenveen in the Netherlands. He then had another loan spell in the Netherlands with Vitesse. Spent some time at Real Sociedad, where we started to see uh, what Martin Odegaard was capable of. Real Madrid uh, then took him back and Arsenal uh, decided to take him from Los Blancos and bring him to the Emirates Stadium initially for half a season on loan. And when I think back to what my thoughts were around Martin Odegaard when he first arrived, I thought incredibly talented footballer, really, really high technical level. Do I worry about him perhaps potentially being a little bit lightweight for the Premier League? That was my concern. In he comes, this guy who has been essentially out in the cold from August until January when he got that move to Arsenal from Real Madrid on loan. And he comes in and he looks like he's never been off it. He looks like he's been playing football throughout the entire season. He looked as though he was in tip-top shape. He suffered an injury during that period between January and the end of the season, which I think just stunted his kind of growth into the Arsenal team. But it was clear that Mikel Arteta had seen enough. And if you think back to that summer, there were Arsenal fans out there, whom I've called out many times before in this podcast, who were banging the drum. No, don't sign Martin Odegaard. He hasn't done enough. He hasn't convinced us. He's not the answer. He's not the solution in um, in that uh, that creative position. We should go and get uh, Emi Buendia instead, who, of course, ended up at Aston Villa and is injured now with a long-term injury. We wish him a speedy recovery. Of course, I don't want the guy to be injured, for God's sake. But there was a lot of noise around that time about Buendia, that we should go for him. There was chat about Madison as well. Um, Madison is a good player. He's played well at Spurs so far. But Martin Odegaard has the potential to be one of the best in the world. I don't think Madison has that ceiling. I think Madison's a good Premier League player. But Arsenal clearly saw something in Martin Odegaard that led them to believe this guy was of an incredible level. You just needed to squeeze it out of him. You just needed to nurture him a little bit. And so what do we do? We, we bide our time that summer while everybody's screaming for Emi Buendia and God knows who else was on the list. Probably Julian Draxler as well, knowing Arsenal um, uh, and, and Arsenal fans. Arsenal were biding their time and eventually managed to sign Martin Odegaard from Real Madrid for a fee of about, as reported, 35 million euros. That's not even 30 million pounds. £30 million for a guy that's now been nominated for the Ballon d'Or and for someone who, if you go over to transfermarkt.com now, and I know I always say this to you guys, don't take their values as gospel, but they are an indicator. We paid €35 million Euros for someone who's worth now, according to their metrics, close to €100 million. Euros. You tripled your investment because you've got someone in more than tripled your investment who has the potential to go on to incredible, incredible levels. And listen, Martin Odegaard was good prior to last season, but last season he really stepped it up. Last season he took it to a whole new level. Last season he became a driving force for us when we wanted to press, when we needed to win the ball back from opposition. Um, 15 goals and eight assists in the Premier League. 
So that's 23 direct goal contributions in 37 games in that competition, which is pretty remarkable in itself. And if you go to all competitions, and I know you're probably expecting a big bump up when I change this to all competitions, you're not going to get that because, of course, uh, he only played a handful of games um, in the cup competitions, just one in the FA Cup, seven in the Europa League. But most of those uh, were as a substitute. He only played 238 minutes in those seven games in the Europa League. But, I mean, just what a player. What a player we have on our hands here. And as I say, not only am I incredibly proud of the fact that they're part of the Arsenal team and not only do I lick my lips every time they go out to play football because I know they're both capable of absolute magic. The pair have forged a wonderful relationship when operating down Arsenal's right-hand side, Odegaard in the half space, Saka that little bit wider. They can interchange positions between one another. Often you'll see Odegaard drift right out wide and Saka take up that space slightly further in field from which if he can generate the space, he likes to take a shot or two. This is just a really, really exciting um, couple of players. And, and I think it's a sign of Arsenal being back on the map, the fact that the two of them have been nominated and they both absolutely categorically do deserve it. There is no question about that in my mind. Should either of them win it? Well, no, I don't think so. I think Lionel Messi will win it, as I say, um, because he won the World Cup. And there are players on there that are certainly ahead of the players that we're waxing lyrical about here on this show. But it's just a sign of Arsenal's progress and a sign of the Gunners moving in the right direction that both of them are on this list. And I'm incredibly, extremely proud of that fact. Um, yeah, why wouldn't I be? Um, I hope you guys are too. Look, we're going to discuss what they are worth in today's market because I think it's good sometimes to know the value of your assets. I mean, how many people get their houses valued without having any intention of selling them at that particular time? So uh, we'll do a bit of that. We're going to take a really, really short pause uh, and then we're going to do that. During that pause, I'm going to play you guys a very short teaser uh, from... Uh, our members podcast, which came out earlier this week. Now, remember, if you want to support the Chronicles of Aguna podcast and you want access to additional content, you can sign up on the Another Slice platform. The link is in the description below. When you go to sign up, if you use the discount code free episode, all in one word, uh, you'll be able to access one episode for free. So you get a bit of a taster of what it is you'd be buying. Um, we do make, as I say, always uh, regular donations to a children's hospital. Um, but of course, we also use those funds uh, to help with the uh, costs of the podcast. There are costs, um, you know, microphones, uh, subscriptions to software like StreamYard, uh, traveling to different places to make content, all of the rest of it. Um, and as I said to you guys just the other day, I'm hoping in the very, very near future, depending on how many uh, signups we get, to bring on a junior producer who can assist me uh, with putting out clips from the show, uh, with making more stuff for you guys. If somebody can help me with the editing and with the posting and with the uploading and all of that, then I can spend more time just literally chatting and making more content. So um, that's the plan. Uh, and hopefully we can achieve that very, very soon. But as I say, there is an episode that dropped this week. It is on the Kai Havertz conundrum. I'm going to play you guys a little teaser before we continue on. We're going to value Saka and Odegaard in today's market. We're going to talk Nico Pepe, Jorginho and the promising young player that Arsenal could be set to lose. So, uh, yeah, we'll do all of that in just a minute. Here's a teaser from the Kai Havertz Conundrum Members Podcast. <laughs> 
Pick, right? Granite Xhaka was playing the left eight position last season. Arsenal were dominant in most games they played, and that meant that, Kai, uh, that Granite Xhaka, I beg your pardon, would often get into attacking positions, and he didn't always have the quality to make the right decision or finish off a chance that came his way. I think he scored seven league goals last season, Granite Xhaka, which was a big improvement on anything we'd seen from him in previous years. But you can understand why going into the summer, Mikel thought, given we're this dominant, given we have that extra bit of stability in midfield by pushing our left back at the time, Zinchenko, in there alongside Partey at the time, or Partey or Rice nowadays, maybe I can afford to get away with playing someone who's a little bit more attack-minded in that position in the hope that when they do get those chances, there'll be a higher conversion rate. So when I think about it logically, I can understand why he... There we go. That was a clip uh, from that episode, uh, which dropped, uh, of course, earlier this week. So uh, me talking a little bit there about why... I believe Mikel Arteta thought that Kai Havertz would be a, a really, really good fit. And lots of you, while we were kind of talking through the Martin Odegaard story in the live chat, have kind of made comparisons to Kai Havertz and, and are saying that we should kind of use Martin Odegaard's story or suggesting that we should use Martin Odegaard's story as an example of how I guess we should treat Kai Havertz at this moment in time, get behind him, support him. Uh, Kai Havertz was talking uh, during a TV interview, I think either today or yesterday, I saw the quotes kind of filter through from it. And he said he's trying to uh, approach the situation in a relaxed way. He said it's not the first time that he started at a new club and things have just been a little bit slow. He's trying not to let it get to him and he's trying to work his way through it. And I think with our support, he will. He's too good a footballer. He's too talented a footballer for it not to click at some point. So I think as long as we keep the environment positive, we don't get on his back too much. We don't pick on him for every misplaced pass and every missed opportunity. Then I think we will eventually see um, what a top, top player he is. Um, I'm not saying that he's going to be the next Martin Odegaard because I think he's outstanding, but um, there's a good chance that we see a big improvement, I think, uh, from Kai Havertz uh, sooner rather than later. Right. Uh, let's value these two players then. So I thought long and hard about this and you know, I'm one that always moans about the transfer market. I'm one that always complains about the fact that players just seem to be going for way too much money anymore. But it's impossible if you're going to do this to not take into consideration the fact that Declan Rice cost £100 million, that Caicedo cost £115 million, that the Saudis have been willing uh, to pay up to £200 million for Bukayo uh, for Bukai I nearly said Bukayo Salah, for Mohamed Salah. So... You have to factor that in, right? So some of these prices I'm going to give you sound absolutely ridiculous. And we'll start off with Bukayo Saka as well. Let me know in the comments your valuation for Bukayo Saka in today's market. And I'll read some of those out as well. My valuation is £175 million. So I initially started at £200 million because you've got to sometimes think about what his value is to you as a football club. Um, the reason I knocked it down a touch from the 200 million outrageous price that I came up with in the first place is because I think that you, you have to be fair. You know, he, he hasn't he hasn't done it really for more than a couple of probably arguably just one season um, in the Premier League where he's been like really consistent and on tip top form all the time. Um, hasn't played in the Champions League yet. Obviously, that is going to be put right uh, very, very soon. 
there's still so much more to come from Bukayo Saka. And I'm one of these people that, yes, I think that you should factor in potential when valuing somebody, a player that is. But I also think that sometimes that side of the argument is is almost focused on too much. You know, potential is only something if you fulfil it. And we've seen many players over the years not fulfil that. We've seen many players over the years show really, really promising signs and then just disappear, just fall off the side and, and just not go on to, you know, the heights that we all expected. I'm not saying that's going to happen with Bukayo Saka. When you think about his potential, it's scary. He's 22 years old now and he's playing with such consistency. You know, I, I have to say, at the time of recording in the past couple of weeks, I don't think he's been at his best. But over the course of the last 18 months, Bukayo Saka has been a revelation. 150 to 175 million is where I would value Bukayo Saka at in today's market. And a part of that is the fact that he is what I described him as earlier on, which is almost Arsenal's pin-up boy in the sense of he is the example of what you can achieve at Arsenal Football Club. He is the clear example of the pathway that is on offer to young footballers. He's a Hayland graduate. He's an Arsenal boy through and through, um, Londoner, all the rest of it. When I think about all of those things, they matter to Arsenal Football Club. That might not matter to Manchester City if they want to sign him in 24, 36 months' time. But that matters to Arsenal and that adds value. So 150 to 175 million is is probably the mark I'm going. And I know that sounds outrageous, but if Moises Caicedo is 115 million, Bukayo Saka scores your goals and creates goals. That is the most valuable commodity in football. Naturally, forwards are going to cost more than most other positions. For some reason, we've seen this real inflated market in the centre of midfield this summer. But I think I started at 200. I knocked it down to 175. I'm going to stick it around about the £150 million mark in terms of what I think is a reasonable amount now for Bukayo Saka. I can't go crazy because then I sound stupid when I'm moaning about the price of players. But, you know, there is that temptation to go towards the 200 mil mark when you think about what these players are going for, when you think about what the Saudis are willing to pay uh, for Mohamed Salah. You know, Mohamed Salah is a, a good example of a player whose price is overinflated because the argument's been made the other way. So I talk about players with potential having their prices bumped up because of what they might be. Mohamed Salah's price is high because of what he was. And that obviously makes him a valuable commodity in terms of branding and, and all the rest of it. But, you know, you pay £200 million for Mohamed Salah today. There's a good chance that in two years, he's nowhere near the Mohamed Salah that he was when you signed him. And that's the danger and the difficulty for football clubs when they're trying to sign players towards the latter years of their career. I'm not going to say that Salah's finished. He's nowhere near it. He's a wonderful, wonderful player. Um, probably barring Erling Haaland and Kevin De Bruyne are the best player in the Premier League um, and, and integral to Liverpool and, and has been integral to Liverpool over the years. So I'm not trying to shit on him in any way, shape or form. I'm just saying that that's someone who's at a different point in his career. Therefore, the, the price hike is based on what he's done, Bukayo Saka is someone who will have his price bumped up because of what he can still do. And both of those things are wrong to, to judge players on in terms or or to be influenced too much by when, when coming up with your price and valuation because one is in the past 
and one is based on something that might not even happen. So you, you get where I'm going with this, but that's two different extremes. Um, when it comes to Martin Odegaard, I'm going to say, I'm going to value him at slightly less just because he hasn't got that homegrown academy member connection thing with the football club. But I do think he's really connected with the fans. If he hadn't, and if he didn't understand the culture of Arsenal Football Club and everything that it's about, then he wouldn't have been made captain by Mikel Arteta. So the fact that he's our club captain obviously bumps the price up a little bit, but I'm talking at minimum, absolute minimum, £125 million now for Martin Odegaard to find a midfielder who gets you 15 goals and eight assists in the league, 23 direct goal contributions in 37 games. It's not easy. It's not easy. There are not many midfielders that will put up those kind of numbers. People talk about uh, Bruno Fernandes quite a bit. And often they describe him as, as possibly Manchester United's best player. And we saw Bruno Fernandes, of course, up close at Emirates Stadium um, just the other day. Bruno Fernandes is 28. So the price comparison would be a little bit off if you're going to try and look at those two and, and try and make sense of that. You know, he's, he's at a slightly different point in his career. But if I just go back to his statistics last season, because I might not be 100% on this, but I, I'm sure, I'm certain I'm not far off. You're talking about someone that got 14 goals and 15 assists in all competitions, made a lot more appearances than Martin Odegaard, made 59 appearances because he played 11 times in the Europa League, six times in the FA Cup and five times in the EFL Cup. So lots more appearances. But Bruno Fernandes puts up those numbers in terms of what he can do in the final third. But he doesn't press the way that Martin Odegaard does. He doesn't defend the way that Martin Odegaard does. He isn't the same type of leader as Martin Odegaard. I don't think he's a particularly great ambassador for Manchester United in the way that Odegaard is for Arsenal. Odegaard is is everything you want a young footballer to be. Bruno Fernandes is in people's faces, moaning, whinging. That is what he is, and, and that's fine. But I think there's some value in having a player like Martin Odegaard, who's not only incredibly talented, but is so likeable as well. Like, commercially, that is everything, isn't it? It's key. Um, so £125 million pounds, uh, would be my valuation of Martin Odegaard in today's market. I'll take some of you guys' suggestions on that in the live chat. Pop them in, Saka and Odegaard. What would you value them in today's market? We're going to take a short pause. When I come back, I'll read some of yours and then we'll move on to our other stories for the day. Okay, let's see what you guys have to say. Uh, Wesbert says 150 pounds or above for Saka. I think she meant 150 million. I should hope so. Uh, Orlu has got a bit over the top. 550 million pounds. Come on, mate. Have a day off. Uh, Rizo says 150 million considering other big money transfers. They're not for sale anyway. I'm not saying they are, but it's nice to know what their value would be. Um, Jay Neasy says, would you take 175 for Bukayo in January though? No, because He's just signed a new contract and there's no danger of his value really dipping in the short term. So why would I take that in January? If anything, uh, I'd wait till the summer. But I'm not selling him, just to be clear, but just saying that. Um, uh, Andre values Odegaard at higher than Bukayo Saka. It's gone Saka, 150 million Odegaard, 200 million. Um, what else have we got? Um 125 to 140 mil for Odegaard. T says, why does it matter what he's worth? Well, obviously it doesn't. Like they're not up for sale tomorrow. But I think 
this matters to football clubs when they're figuring out how far they can go in terms of investment on new players. So I think when KSE were in the position at the start of this summer where they went or, or where they were told, look, we, we want to get Declan Rice in, we want to get Kai Havertz in, we want to get Jurian Timber in, and that is going to require an investment of nearly £200 million. At that point, they would have obviously considered the financials. What do they need to do to make this happen? But one of the things they would have considered, and this is why it does matter what players are worth, is the value of their squad today. Because if you've got value and you run into a bit of a speed bump, a bit of a problem financially, you can release that value. You can release that equity, if you like, by sanctioning a deal for one of your big plays. The more valuable your squad, the, the more you're able to, to borrow and the more leeway you have should you decide to sell one of those players in order to A, function other business or B, um, you know, help the club out in a time of need. That's why it does matter what these players are worth. And the more valuable the squad is, the more confident KSE will be in topping up what we're spending to help us get over the line and get the players that we want. So it, it does play a part, albeit not directly all the time, albeit not physically in terms of us having that money available to us. It's a bit like having properties, isn't it? Like the money is in the property. And yes, you know, you can sell that property when you want to, but like generally speaking, that money's tied up, but that money gives you leverage and having that leverage for a football club like Arsenal, uh, considering that they're always going to want to be able to buy the best players is going to be, um, is going to be important. So that's why it does matter. Okay, um, let's take a couple more. M says uh, Saka 150 million and Odegaard at 120. Uh, Double M says Saka 150, Odegaard 110. But only if a European club came in, not to a Premier League club yet. Naturally, you want to bump that up when it comes to Premier League clubs. Right, we're going to take a short pause and we're going to talk a, a couple of other stories. We're going to discuss the latest on Nicolas Pepe's future. Uh, we'll be talking Jorginho. Uh, there's a club on the continent who are flirting with Jorginho ahead of a potential January move, according to Spanish media. And we'll also talk about the young man who's uh, close to finalising a move from Arsenal to the Mexican giants, Tigres. Um, who are we losing then? We'll get into that in just a moment. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, which is, of course, part of the 90-min football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiou. Let's bring you then uh, the latest on the future of Nicolas Pepe at the time of recording. He's yet to complete a move away from Arsenal, uh, but it seems as though Nicolas Pepe is going to be joining Trabs on Spore, barring a late collapse in the deal. Uh, I read a good few hours ago now um, 
today, obviously Thursday, the, uh, the Turkish side were preparing uh, to send a private plane uh, to come over and collect Nicolas Pepe ahead of that proposed move. Arsenal willing to tear up Nicolas Pepe's contract. He's keen on the move too. We're not going to get the fee that we thought we were going to get from Al-Shabaab, the Saudi club, uh, just a few days ago. Uh, but that's because Nicolas Pepe is not keen, from what we understand, on a move to Saudi Arabia and instead prefers to join the Turkish club Trabzonspor. Now, it, we're at the point with this where, you know, we've talked about it in recent days. You know, it's a shame. It is what it is. It didn't work out. But we're at the point where we need a resolution to this, right? We need it for Nicolas Pepe. We need it for Arsenal. We need to get him off the wage bill, all the rest of it. Let him go. And if it means tearing up the contract, then so be it. It would have been nice to get a fee. But we were talking about a £2 million fee for Al-Shabaab, which when you think about what we invested in this player is not even a drop in the ocean. So I'm not going to lose any sleep about the fact that we're not getting a fee as opposed to the £2 million that we might have got had he gone to Saudi Arabia. I actually think it's probably more important that Nicolas Pepe gets what he wants uh, in terms of uh, a destination where he feels that he can rebuild his career. Really talented. I think he'll rip it up in Turkey uh, as long as he can stay fit. Uh, that deal, though, at the time of recording, not finalised, not completed, no announcement from either side. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if we get that uh, before we record another podcast. So before uh, Friday's edition of the show. So, um, yeah, wish him all the best. Really, really do hope it works out. Hope the deal uh, goes through for him. Uh, Jorginho, who, of course, has been linked with a move quite a bit. Uh, over the course uh, of the summer is staying put at the moment. But there is, of course, uh, interest in him, according to Barcelona based media. Surprise, surprise from. Yep, you've guessed it. Barcelona. Um, this feels like one of those typical international break stories. There's nothing to write about. Let's come up with something. Jorginho is a good passer of the ball. That means he'd be a good fit at Barcelona, all the rest of it. They can't even register players Barcelona. I don't know where they're going to, what they're going to do with all these footballers. You know, Jorginho is someone who at the end of his current Arsenal contract, which doesn't have that long left to run when you consider that we signed him on a, a relatively short-term deal. I'll give you the exact date of its expiration uh, in just a second. I'm just checking that out now as we speak. Um, it expires June 30th, uh, so it expires at the end of this current season. Arsenal do have an option, though, for a further year. You might see that triggered, depending on how he helps the team over the course of the campaign. Um, but obviously, Barcelona will be aware of that situation. Maybe they will come in for him. But, you know, to report that someone's going to come in for someone in January in September is always kind of clutching at straws a little bit, I think, uh, particularly in a situation like this where this isn't, a Declan Rice deal where the interest will be ongoing for months and, and you'll be trying to do that deal and flirting with the player and all the rest of it. This just feels like an international break story. But hey, uh, I thought I'd bring it to your attention. Um, just a quick reminder before we move on to our final story uh, around uh, one of Arsenal's uh, youngsters. Just a quick reminder, if you haven't done so already, please do leave a like on the video. It really, really, really uh, does help. Also subscribe to the channel. If you're brand spanking you, a quick reminder as well that if you're interested, uh, you can listen to my show on TalkSport 2 tomorrow, The Social, uh, with myself and Rory Jennings tomorrow. So I think we're going to have a good old discussion on Kai Havertz, uh, which should be interesting. So you might want to tune in for that. We'll be on air together from 3 p.m. until 6 p.m. UK time. You can listen to that uh, on the TalkSport app online via DAB as well. Uh, the social on TalkSport 2, I'll be hosting alongside my co-host, Rory Jennings, 
You all know who he is. And there's going to be some good discussion there, I'm sure. Uh, so come along and check that one out. OK, um, elsewhere, uh, Arsenal youngster Marcelo Flores is said to be close uh, to leaving the Gunners to join the Mexican side Tigres. Um, Marcelo Flores is an interesting one, apart from the fact he's got a super cool name. Um, he's one that I think a lot of Arsenal fans have looked at over the last few years and thought, oh, you know, there might be a bit of a player there. You know, where, how's this going to end up? How's this going to go? Look, it looks as though um, he's going to make that move. He did spend some time out on loan last season with Real Oviedo. He made 15 appearances for them. Didn't score a goal, but got an assist. Uh, a player that is predominantly an attacking midfielder. He has made his debut for the Mexican uh, national team. Uh, he's he's had three caps for them. Um, not really torn it up necessarily. He's uh, played games for the Arsenal under-18s. He scored 10 goals and got five assists in 32 appearances for them. 16 games played for the under-21s in which he scored five goals. Someone I thought at some point might make the breakthrough but another one that has seemingly run out of patience. And look, I say that it's not just about the player running out of patience, right? They'll get an indication from the club as to whether or not they think that they've got what it takes to push on and break through and all the rest of it. And um, and if you get the indication that you're not seen as a part of the plan, then why wouldn't you move on? Tigres are a massive, massive... I don't even know if I'm saying it right. If someone speaks uh, Spanish, Mexican, let me know. Um but they're, they're a big football club, man. They're a big football club. They're, they're very famous for having Andre Pierre Gignac up front. Remember him? Uh, but yeah, look, they're a big old football club. And I think, you know, it's a good move for him. I, I really, really do. Um, they're in Monterrey um, in uh, in Mexico. Um, and I think, yeah, I think he'll um, have a good time there. And I, I do wish him all the best because I don't see that pathway necessarily for Marcelo Flores but um, all the best to him that move is getting closer from what we understand right we are going to leave it there um, thank you all so much for joining me at this obscure time for a live stream I really really do appreciate it leave a like on the video if you haven't done so already subscribe to the channel if you're brand new as well as we continue on our journey here on YouTube towards 30,000 subs we're not a million miles away um, I think we can get there by the end of the year, you know, with a concerted effort. Uh, thank you to everybody listening on the audio platforms. Really appreciate you too. Thank you to those of you that have been leaving comments on Spotify. I didn't even know that was a thing. And I, I, I looked through some of them today, which was great. Uh, don't forget to leave a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts as well. That really, really does help us. And we shall be back tomorrow with another edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Until then, take care of yourselves and stay safe. All the best. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.